Chapter twenty nine of The Masquerader by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter twenty nine. Loder's frame of mind as he left Cadogan Gardens was peculiar. Once more he was living in the present, the forceful, exhilarating present, and the knowledge braced him. Upon one point his mind was satisfied. Lilia Mastrop had found the telegram, and it remained to him to render her find valueless. How he proposed to do this, how he proposed to come out triumphant in face of such a situation, was a matter that as yet was shapeless in his mind. Nevertheless, the danger, the sense of impending conflict, had a savour of life after the inaction of the day and night just passed. Chilcot, in his weakness and his entanglement, had turned to him, and he in his strength and capacity had responded to the appeal. His step was firm and his bearing assured as he turned into Grosvenor Square and walked towards the familiar house. The habit of self-deceit is as insidious and tenacious as any vice. For one moment on the night of his great speech, as he leaned out of Chilcot's carriage and met Chilcot's eyes, Loder had seen himself, and under the shock of revelation had taken decisive action. But in the hour subsequent to that action, the plausible inner voice had whispered unceasingly, soothing his wounded self-esteem, rebuilding stone by stone the temple of his egotism, until at last, when Chilcot, panic-stricken at his own action, had burst into his rooms ready to plead or to coerce, he had found no need for either coercion or entreaty. By a power more subtle and effective than any at his command, Loder had been prepared for his coming, unconsciously ready with an acquiescence before his appeal had been made. It was the fruit of this preparation, the inevitable outcome of it, that strengthened his step and steadied his hand as he mounted the steps and opened the hall door of Chilcot's house on that eventful afternoon. The dignity, the air of quiet solidity, impressed him as it never failed to do as he crossed the large hall and ascended the stairs, the same stairs that he had passed down almost as an outcast not so many hours before. He was filled with the sense of things regained, Belief in his own star lifted him as it had done a hundred times before in these same surroundings. He quickened his steps as the sensation came to him. Then, reaching the head of the stairs, he turned directly towards Eve's sitting-room, and, gaining the door, knocked. The strength of his eagerness, the quick beating of his pulse as he waited for a response, surprised him. He had told himself many times that his passion, however strong, would never again conquer as it had done two nights ago, and the fact that he had come thus candidly to Eve's room was to his mind a proof that temptation could be dared. Nevertheless, there was something disconcerting to a strong man in this merely physical perturbation, and when Eve's voice came to him, giving permission to enter, he paused for an instant to steady himself. Then with sudden decision he opened the door and walked into the room. The blinds were partly drawn. There was a scent of violets in the air, and a fire glowed warmly in the grate. He noted these things carefully, telling himself that a man should always be alertly sensible of his surroundings. Then all at once the nice balancing of detail suddenly gave way. He forgot everything but the one circumstance that Eve was standing in the window, her back to the light, her face towards him. With his pulses beating faster and an unsteady sensation in his brain, he moved forward, holding out his hand. "'Eve!' he said below his breath. But Eve remained motionless. 
As he came into the room, she had glanced at him, a glance of quick, searching question. Then, with equal suddenness, she had averted her eyes. As he drew close to her now, she remained immovable. "'Eve,' he said again, "'I wanted to see you. I wanted to explain about yesterday and about this morning.' He paused, suddenly disturbed. The full remembrance of the scene in the broom had surged up at sight of her, had risen a fierce, unquenchable recollection. "'Eve!' he began again, in a new, abrupt tone. And then it was that Eve showed herself in a fresh light. From his entrance into the room she had stayed motionless, save for her first glance of acute inquiry. But now her demeanour changed. For almost the first time in Loder's knowledge of her, the vitality and force that he had vaguely apprehended below her quiet, serene exterior sprang up like a flame within whose radius things are illuminated. With a quick gesture she turned towards him, her warm colour deepening, her eyes suddenly alight. "'I understand,' she said. "'I understand. Don't try to explain. Can't you see that it's enough to—to to see you as you are?' Lady was surprised. Remembering their last passionate scene, and the damper Chilcot's subsequent presence must inevitably have cast upon it, he had expected to be doubtfully received. But the reality of the reception left him bewildered. Eve's manner was not that of the ill-used wife. Its vehemence, its note of desire and deprecation, were more suggestive of his own ardent seizing of the present, as distinguished from past or future. With a nonsense of confusion he turned to her afresh. "'Then I am forgiven?' he said, and unconsciously, as he moved nearer, he touched her arm. At his touch she started. All the yielding sweetness, all the submission that had marked her two nights ago, was gone. In its place she was possessed by a curious excitement that stirred while it perplexed. Loder, moved by the sensation, took another step forward. "'Then I am forgiven?' he repeated, more softly. Her face was averted as he spoke, but he felt her arm quiver, and when at last she lifted her head, their eyes met. Neither spoke, but in an instant Loder's arms were round her. For a long, silent space they stood holding each other closely. Then, with a sharp movement, Eve freed herself. Her colour was still high, her eyes still peculiarly bright, but the bunch of violets she wore in her belt had fallen to the ground. "'John,' she said quickly, but on the word her breath caught. With a touch of nervousness she stooped to pick up the flowers. Loder noticed both voice and gesture. "'What is it?' he said. "'What were you going to say?' But she made no answer. For a second longer she searched for the violets. Then, as he bent to assist her, she stood up quickly and laughed, a short, embarrassed laugh. "'How absurd and nervous I am!' she exclaimed. "'like a schoolgirl instead of a woman of twenty-four. "'You must help me to be sensible.' "'Her cheeks still burned, her manner was still excited, "'like one who holds an emotion or an impulse at bay.' "'Loder looked at her uncertainly. "'Eve,' he began afresh, with his odd, characteristic perseverance, "'but she instantly checked him. "'There was a finality, a faint suggestion of fear in her protest. "'Don't,' she said. Don't I, I don't want explanations. I want to, to enjoy the moment without having things analysed or smoothed away. Can't you understand? Can't you see that I'm wonderfully, terribly happy to, to have you 
as you are? Again her voice broke, a break that might have been a laugh or a sob. The sound was an emotional crisis, as such a sound invariably is. It arrested and steadied her. For a moment she stood absolutely still. Then, with something very closely resembling her old repose of manner, she stooped again and quietly picked up the flowers still lying at her feet. "'Now,' she said quietly, "'I must say what I've wanted to say all along. "'How does it feel to be a great man?' Her manner was controlled. She looked at him evenly and directly. Save for the faint vibration in her voice, there was nothing to indicate the tumult of a moment ago. But Loda was still uncertain. He caught her hand, his eyes searching hers. "'But Eve,' he began. Then Eve played the last card in her mysterious game. Laughing quickly and nervously, she freed her hand and laid it over his mouth. "'No,' she said, "'not one word. All this past fortnight has belonged to you. Now it's my turn. Today is mine.'" End of chapter 29